those of you online watching, welcome, and so glad you're here, glad to see and to hear you sing and just to be together. It's a good, good day uh, to worship the Lord. And uh, next week, just a reminder, just a few housekeeping matters at 2.30 next Sunday, there'll be a baby shower here for Abigail and Elijah and, and little Francis Michael Jr. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there, and so that's coming next Sunday. So come. Uh, if you have any questions, you can talk to, to Abigail or what, what she needs. Or they'll take cash and gift cards as well. So <laughs> whatever you'd like to come. But just come and support. And uh, um, I know this is the, the pattern for some people is to have the shower before. I know my wife's like, you know, I kind of like having it after because then we can all hold the baby. But uh, Abigail and Elijah have assured us that you will get a chance to if you'd like to. Uh, and especially if you really want to, you should sign up to serve in the nursery. Then you'll get your chance to, to hold their baby. So that, that's kind of the, you know, the, the carrot hit for you to serve. But there is a few slots open at the 9 a.m. right now in the nursery. And so um, my wife has called through almost everyone she can think of. But maybe God is speaking to someone out there to say, you know what? I could help with babies and with the younger ones in the nursery. It is a special group, a precious group. And it needs people with lots of love and just care. You don't have to teach a, a, a detailed lesson or anything. You just need to show them and love them the love of Jesus. You always have a helper, but anyway, that, that's coming up next week. How did we get here? How did we get here? The place where we are today, and, and in Saskatchewan, that's a pretty good place, thankfully. Uh, we're, we're, we're sort of getting back to some semblance of, of normality, whatever that might be. And... The challenge is that as I think about this series, I thought about it back in December when I planned it, was, you know, you don't want to come through a series season like we've been through and not learn anything from it and not move forward and still be at the same place you were before it all happened, right? You, those of you that are older like me remember 9-11 and there was this sort of an opening to, to spiritual things. For, for a brief window, it opened up and then it just slammed shut. Boom. Life went back to normal. They built a park on the site, and people just got back to doing their own thing. Whereas I think God was sort of saying, hey, America, I love you. I'm here for you. Turn to me. And I think the period of what we've been through is, is God's invitation, as every season of our life is God's invitation for us to turn to him. So the question is, how can we move forward with God? Because if you look at the book of Genesis and the beginning of history and how everything started, what you discover is this awesome, incredible God makes a beautiful place and people mess it up. People get kicked out of God's perfect habitation. They, they destroy their relationship with him. And the more people get together and connive and plan and strive, the worse things get. God has to flood the earth in Genesis chapter 6. It's a horrific story of judgment, but yet within that judgment is, is this picture of salvation, the ark. Genesis 11, God told people to be fruitful, multiply, and there they are building this tower. It's religion. It's we're going to find our own way to God. We're going to control, manipulate God. We're going to create a little platform for him to come down and visit with us on our terms. And God comes down and is like, no, that's not the way it works. And so you wonder, as you get to the end of chapter 11, we've covered thousands of years of human history, is it even possible to move forward with God? Because no matter what people do, they always seem to mess it up. And then in chapter 12, the writer 
the author of Genesis gears down into first gear and slows down the whole progress of the book. We've covered a thousand years of history, multiple, multiple generations, and all of a sudden, chapter 12 was like, it's like driving in Lloydminster at five o'clock, right? You're just going bumper to bumper, moving slowly, and it's like, now he's like, hey, let's stop, let's look, and we're going to focus in really narrowly on one man, one person. How can we move forward with God? The story begins at... Genesis 11, verses 27 to 32. It says, these are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Abram, sorry, Nahor and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was Sarai. Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarah... Sarai, sorry, was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Make a special note of this, okay? This is Abram's wife, Sarai. It says in verse 31, Terah took his son Abram with his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. I got a map here. I hope you can see it, but just so you understand. This is called the Fertile Crescent. This is where people were populated. It was the major trade route between Egypt and Ur here. So this is, you know, and of course the Promised Land, Canaan is right in here. It's, it's the land bridge, but you know, that, that connects these two. God says, you know, go from Ur to, to, to Canaan. And he stops halfway and stays there. Five to six years, they, they guess. It was God's will for him to go to number three there, and he gets stuck at number two. It's partial obedience. It's not really full or wholehearted and it's a period of history that doesn't record any altars, doesn't talk about anyone walking with God or calling on the name of the Lord. It's just this dead zone. Haran literally means dry, parched, fruitless. There's no altars, there's no prayer, there's no mention of God in Haran. God has a plan for them in Canaan. But they've come part way and they stop. And they enter this zone of, of, of nothingness. Now here's a warning for us, okay? God calls us and invites us into relationship with him. And that relationship is an ongoing, moving relationship. It's not a, come to relationship with me and I'm giving you a ticket to salvation. You live however you like. And when you die, just cash that ticket up in heaven and you're, you'll enter the pearly gates. That's not the way it works. Some of you might think that it works that way. I just don't want to go to hell, so give me the ticket and I'll just live my life however I want. And when I die, boom, I just place the ticket to St. Peter and he lets me in. Yahoo! That's not the invitation God gives you. It's follow me. It begins with a relationship, and then it's a relationship that's ongoing where God continues to lead you. But in Haran, they stepped off the path of God's will and just settled. 
and nothing happens. Well, his business prospered. He did fairly well there. Uh, by our standards, we would say he was successful. He had built up his RSP, <laughs> paid for his, his, you know, camels and donkeys that he had bought on credit. I mean, he did all the right things, but there, there's no mention of God. There's no movement of faith. Stuck. Now, his dad has a place in this somewhere. Obviously, patriarchal culture, if the old man says we're stopping here, the son doesn't really have much say in that, right? And so there's, there's possibly some of that going on here too. But, but what you find is that this is dry, barren place, and I hope that's not where you are today. But if you are, there's good news. You don't have to stay there. And why would you settle for that? And you'll see and you'll experience and you work with people that, that have found Haran and they're living in it and they're trying to convince themselves that this is all there is in life. And they know it's not true, but they keep trying, they keep working because everyone else tells them, you've, you've arrived. And they're like, I'm not, if this is it, boy, what a disappointment. When all along, there's this place called Canaan just waiting waiting. God's inviting them, but he's not forcing anyone. He's saying, go to Canaan. No, we'll settle in Haran. Business is good. I mean, they, I think they had this like kind of a shipping service where they would haul freight, you know, with donkeys and camels, and it was going really well, but, but it wasn't God's best for them. You're in new life, and as your pastor, I want you to experience God's best. And rarely does that come in the place of comfort and security that the earth provides for you. God's best is kind of is the sharp edge of faith, <laughs> which cuts into our life and, and forces us to, to address things. And like I said, this is why I'm asking the question, how do we get here? Because I think God wants to do something in your life through this last season. And not just to leave you back, go back to the, to the old ways, but maybe there's a new path you can proceed that you've learned something about God and about your relationship with God in this last two and a half years that will help you to be stronger, better, healthier, and more blessed moving forward. Terah dies, his dad, and something happens in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Literally, it's leave, Abram. It's an invitation, it's a command. It's, it's like, okay, you, you've been stuck there, but now it's time to resume the path to, to my promises and to my blessing for you, God is saying to Abram, leave. Now, you notice the, the progression. It goes from the, the general to the more specific. Okay, leave, leave your land. Leave Saskatchewan, right? And, and leave all your friends in Lloydminster. Oh, and by the way, leave your family. That means your parents, your auntie and uncles, your cousins, your close associates. Leave, you know, and he gets closer and closer, tighter and tighter to the chest. You're like, how, how dare I? Some of you have family associations that are super tight. And even like, if you watch sitcoms and movies, there, there are a whole genre, a group where we talk about, you know, family is everything. You know, family is it all. You know, stick up for family, you know. And, and it shows up in, in a number of different things, whether it's the working group, which is called the family, or it's actually a literal family. I mean, it, it, it comes out again and again. But in the Bible, um, here, God says, I want you to leave, even your family. And I want you to go someplace you've never seen. 
to a land you have no idea about. I mean, you and I, let's be honest, if God said this to us, okay, God, could you email me a picture of, the, of that land, of that property? I'd like to see the house I'm going to be living in, God. What kind of benefits are there? You know, what's in it for me? And, and he's like, just go to that place. I'm going to show you. Doesn't even know where he's going. But he knows who's leading him. The Lord. So whatever he does is a direct reflection of what he believes and who he believes the Lord is. The direction is plain, but the destination is unknown. Abram has to shift his orientation and security from his lineage and his homeland to God and to his promises. See that in verse 2? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now, it's interesting. Abram's 75 years old. His wife's a little bit younger, but they're both getting past the era of fruitfulness and productivity in that way. You know what I'm saying, right? Like, this is not a 20 and 22-year-old, right, that are able to just, boom, patch, you know, crank out kids. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're getting ready to sign up for the old folks' home, and God's like, I'm going to make you into a great nation. He's got no kids. <laughs> it's comical, and it's funny. The people that God chooses, because this is impossible, humanly speaking, but not impossible for God. You notice who's doing everything here? Abram's doing nothing. Just leave to the place I show you, and look what I will do for you, God says. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Remember in, in, in chapter 11, the people of Shinar that gathered there and, and building the tower, like, we're going to make a great name for ourselves. And then God comes along and finds this little camel herder out in Haran and says, Abram, your name is going to be great. <laughs> when God determines that, it can actually happen. And you will be a blessing. He continues in verse 3. He says, I will bless those who bless you and curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You know, we all want to make our mark in the world. We all want to leave our own little indent and hopefully something that, that helps others after we're gone, Right? And here God is making this promise to this obscure man in Haran that he can be the source of blessing, not just for his own family, but through the whole world. I mean, is it possible that through one man, blessing can come to the entire world? I mean, through one man, sin entered the whole world. Could it be that through one man, blessing, prosperity, well-being, Peace could come through one man. I mean, is that possible? God is introducing a concept here for us to percolate on as we read the Bible. Could one man actually change the whole world? It's somewhat prophetic. But Abram will play a key part in God's plan to get this whole world sin thing figured out. Those that curse you, I will curse. It's interesting, a local author, Charles Balinga, wrote a book about Africa. He's an African. He talked about how, you know, a lot of the issues in Africa are, are tied to the fact that there was a period of time when all the African nations turned their backs against Israel. 
It's interesting. I did, you know, you could read that. Uh, Africa, it's time. I think is the name of that book. It's interesting. It's interesting that in my, in my lifetime, one of, one of the periods of, of, of our greatest prosperity here in these provinces was at a time when our prime minister took a stand and stood alongside of Israel. It's interesting. They are God's people. Uh, through the descendants of Abraham would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He was Jewish. And so we, we have affinity to that as Christians today. We have to be sensitive to that. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and, and, be, and you know, understand that God, God has a, a future plan, I think, for that nation. But, but here it starts, right here. In the backwoods of Haran to this nomadic, you know, camel, donkey, you know, caravan leader, you know, and he's like, look, come, come and I'll show you and you are gonna be this wonderful source of blessing. Everyone will be blessed through you. In verse 4, it tells us, Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all his possessions, and they, they had accumulated in the people, and they left. And the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Um, and we'll stop there when they came to the land of Canaan. So they're, they're leaving. It's costly, Okay. It's not easy. Some of you have moved, and you know the, the pain of moving. It's not fun. It's not a life-giving experience. It's like, oh, pain, you know. And, and they're leaving behind a good business, uh, an established reputation, uh, a, a family heritage. They're leaving all of this behind to go to some place, some elusive place that God's going to show them. It's faith that works. Faith demands a ruthless abandonment of the past. But... This abandonment leads to fulfillment. There's always a cost in following God. You have to be willing to pay up front. It's leaving something behind to pursue something better, but not always seen. I think of my friend, Tim. He was a successful IT guy in Manitoba. And God called him to go be a missionary. And he was going to Dallas to work at the Wycliffe Translator's place there. And, and he talked about having to sell like a, a bunch of his furniture. And he cleared out his acreage because that's where he lived, just outside of Winnipeg. And, and they had to get rid of all this stuff. All he just had one little trailer that they filled full, like an eight-by-four trailer. That was all they took with them. He's like, it was eviscerating to have to get rid of all that stuff. And you wondered, okay, what's going to happen when we get down there? And, and he was like, okay, but I'm trusting. God was leading him. And so he drives down to Dallas, finds a place to live. And, and lo and behold, the, the mission had this like thrift store with clothing and furniture and all this stuff. And basically missionaries could go and help themselves. And so he went into this thrift store and he's like, man. Like, it was nice stuff. <laughs> He's like, the stuff that I, I furnished my house was, was better than the stuff I left back in Winnipeg. God provided better than what he gave up. Walton says, God does not ask Abram to give up anything he's not going to replace. So Abram goes, and he gets to the land of Canaan. I have a picture, I think, here. Don't I have a caravan? 
There's, there they are, are, loaded up, heading down to Canaan, to the place where God's going to show them. It's a huge, huge step of faith. In verse 6, it says, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem, at the oak tree of Moriah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So here's a picture of the oak tree, of the tabernacle tree, this big tree. These kind of trees drew attention. It's like driving in Saskatchewan. When you see a tree, it's like, oh, how did that get there, right? So there it is, the oak tree. It's kind of a famous tree. There's actually, you can go there, you can see this huge trunk they have today, which they think might be the tree. This is just an example of the type of tree it was. Large, shady, and it drew attention. And there he is. He's in this noticeable spot. He is in Canaan, clearly. He has arrived at the place that God wants him to be. But it says the Canaanites were in the land. So he's like, this is my land. You're going to give, the, you know, or this, this is the land you told me to go to. And now he's going to promise them that, that you know, um, in verse 7, it says the Lord appeared to Abraham, Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. So, I mean, he's like, this land will be yours. But, but oh, by the way, the Canaanites are in the land. It's a promise but it's not reality. The tension that people of faith of every generation live in. Promise and reality. Promise and reality. We cling and we walk in the promises, but we don't always see the realization of those promises. Hebrews 11, a story of men and women of faith throughout the, you know, the Old Testament. It's like basically none of them received what was promised, but they all kept moving ahead towards the promise. And that's what we find ourselves. The promise is not here. The promise is ahead of us. Don't lose sight of that. The promise is not your long life of good health. That's not the promise. The promise is eternal life with Christ in heaven. So some of you, if you, if you built your life upon like, the promises that we think about being promises, like, okay, you can live forever, or you can have good health, or you can not get sick, or whatever, all the things that, that were the narrative that we lived in the last two years, we got to get above that and say, what is God's promise, right? And, and, and how does that reflect on, on, on each other? And, and he's like, okay, the Canaanites are in the land, but I'm going to give you this land. And Abraham there, Abram builds an altar to the Lord. It's interesting, too. He, God speaks to him, and then when he finally arrives and gets there, and he's by the oak tree, guess what? God shows up. God may lead you and, and communicate to you, but then he's not going to show up again until you arrive at the place he told you to go to. And if you say, no, I'm not going there, then he's like, okay, well, when you get there, I'll meet you there. But if you're going to do your own thing, then you go do your own thing. But if you want me to be part of you, then I, I'm going to meet you right here. I got my own plans, God. I got my own things to do. I got my own priorities. I got to look after my family. I got this business. I got, and God's like, I'm here. If you ever decide that, I want, that you want to make me a part and a priority in your life, just get there and, we'll, and I'll show up and we'll meet together and then we'll take the next step together. But as long as you're doing your own thing, I'm just here waiting, 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 waiting. And so many people miss out on God's blessings because they're doing their own thing. Chasing their own dreams. Holding on to their own securities clinging to their own promises when God has something so much better for all of us. And I don't want to miss that. I don't want you to miss that. But part of that journey for Abram was leaving behind some security, <laughs> some comfort to go and, and to just 
lean and trust and depend on a God whom he just was barely getting to know. I have a picture here of Abram with his, with his altar. There he is. He's got the rocks there, and he's, he's worshiping the Lord. Um, and this is a picture of Abram, right? He's got, he's got a tent. He's got an altar. The, you know, he, he's moving. He's not putting down deep roots. He's just following God. And, and everywhere he goes, he's worshiping God. Now, if you read through the whole Abram story, chapter 12 to chapter 22, what you'll discover is when Abram does something off the record, when he moves away from faith, you won't find any altars there. But then when he realizes, whoops, I stepped out on my own, he gets back to square one, he builds an altar. Boom, okay, that's, this is what it is, people. If you've stepped off, just get back to the altar, get back right with God, you know, make, make, make things right with him, and, and then he'll move you forward. But you know, that's the beauty of this story is he's not perfect. He totally messes up again and again and again, but he comes back, builds an altar, and God's like, okay, good. Now let's move forward again. It says in verse eight, from there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel in the west, Ai in the east, he built an altar to the Lord there and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham journeyed by stages to the Negev. He, he basically walks through the whole land of Canaan, kind of figuratively claiming it. The, the Canaanites are living in the land, but he's like, this is where my ancestors will one day live. It's a faith. And so his whole life is a story of faith. A picture for us, I think, of, of how do you move forward with God? Well, you move forward by faith, and, and you cling to his promises. He doesn't give you the details. There's no discussion, or you know, but, but, but he says, here's the promise. And I'm inviting you to cling to the promise, to trust in the promise, which is based on, on who I am, God says. If you, if you trust me, you can trust my word, trust my promises. Walk with It's a great picture of leaving your old life behind and pursuing a life with God. That's what Jesus invites us to. To walk away, and, and I mean, we, we do this thing called baptism here in our church. So if you've made a commitment in your heart, you, you make it public by coming to a tank of water or a lake, and we, and, and, you know, we take you, and we put you under, and we lift you up, and in the name of, of Jesus, you know, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but it's a picture of, of your old life is dead, and now you're walking in newness of life. The problem is some of us like to swim underwater, right? We stay there. We're, you know, we're, we're going backwards. We're going back to the grave site. We're, we're, you know, we're, 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 we're lingering, and God says there's, there's a whole new life waiting with me if you will take it. Like I said, Abram blows it again and again. He lies about his wife being his sister, nearly loses her to, to, to Pharaoh in Egypt. His, uh, his nephew, which he probably wasn't supposed to bring along, causes him grief. They have to split, and Lot chooses the better land. Abram chooses the high land. But, and then all of a sudden, Lot gets taken away. Abram has to go with 318 men and fight all these armies, and, and he wins. It's a, it's a remarkable story. In chapter 15, verse 6, um, I have this verse up here. God's like, hey, Abraham, I'm gonna, you're going to be a great nation. I, I'm, I'm going to reward you. And it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham becomes a model of faith for, for all people of faith, even today. 
that by faith you can believe in God's word and God credits that to you as righteousness, a standing with him, a right relationship with him. But then the, the final test comes at the end of his life. Like Abraham keeps blowing it, right? God's gonna provide him descendants. Sarah's like, I'm not getting pregnant. Take my slave girl, has to have a kid. Abram does it. That's not the right kid of promise. God's like, no, no, it's through Sarah. You're, 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 gonna, have a, you're gonna have a child. And he's like, well, you know, I'm old, she's old. How's this gonna work? Yeah, it's gonna work because I made the promise. And God's like, I keep my promises. And so she finally does have a, a child and and it's, it's great. Isaac is his name, Laughter. And, and they, they drive out Hagar and this other kid Ishmael is his is other son because he's not the heir of promise. But, but Isaac is. And so there he is. He's got his precious son through Isaac. You know, the, this promise will continue to be fulfilled. And then in chapter 22, Abraham is 100 years old. The final test comes in his life. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham. I don't have it on the screen, but just listen. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. It's, it's similar to chapter 12, right? Take your son, your only son. No, not Ishmael, Isaac, the one you love. He gets it real close. Take the son of the promise and go and sacrifice him. God is asking him, Abraham, am I your all in all? Are you willing to give up that thing that is most precious to you because you walk in faith with me? And I love it. In verse 3 of chapter 22, it says, Abraham got up early in the morning. There's no hesitation. The school of faith has, has tested and, 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 and he's passed those exams, and, and by this point in his life, Abraham, Abraham's like, I don't understand God all the time, but when he says something, I know I need to do it. It may not make any sense to me, but I'm going. And so the, there they pack up, slaves, sun, donkey, wood, fire. They're going up to the mountain. They get close to the mountain. He leaves the, the two servants behind. They're going, and, the, and Isaac, who at this time is probably a minimum of 12, perhaps up to 17, I've got a 17-year-old, and I can't imagine tying him up and putting him on a bunch of rocks. But, but there he is, you know, like, and, and the son is pretty smart. He's like, okay, Dad, we got wood. We got fire. But there's nothing to sacrifice. Surely we could have brought one of the lambs or goats from the flock. And, and Abraham says, the Lord will provide an animal for sacrifice. And they get up there, and we're not told the conversation, but... At the end of it all, there's an altar. There's the fire is ready. The wood is there, and the sun is on top of the wood. And Abraham has got the knife, and he's ready to finish this off. And he's getting up. Okay, Lord, I don't understand this. And then stop. The angel speaks to him. Now, I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. And Abraham looks up and he sees in the thicket a, a ram caught with his horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And this here I have it, verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I've sworn 
This is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done these thing, this thing, have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of the enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Think about the thing that you hold closest. God says, okay, now give it up. What kind of conversation would you have with God? As an old man, though, tempered by the trials of faith, he has learned that he doesn't always have the answers, but he knows who he can trust in. And even the New Testament talks about, you know, he believed that God could even raise it from the dead. He's like, I'm going to go through this because I know God keeps his promises. He promised through, through my descendants and their Isaac is the only one I have. And so Isaac would have two sons. You know, his, his one son would then have 12 sons and then boom, 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 and pretty soon we have this mass multitude of people. But it starts with one man of faith who is willing to take God at his word and cling to his promises. How can we move forward with God? It's by faith. It's leaving behind the things and trusting in, in what he lays in front of us. Maybe some of you are being called today. God's inviting you into a relationship. You're stuck in Haran. He's like, I've got Canaan waiting for you. Come and let's move together. Others of you might be clinging to other portions of security in your life, and God's like, you just... Just let that go. It doesn't mean you have to sell everything. Some people you have to, you know, God does call that, but, but it's more, it's a hard thing, right? He's like, you can have possessions, you can have family, you can live with your relatives nearby, but when they have the central place in your heart, that's not good, God says. I need to get you out of there. But you can live near your family and have support and, all, and have a good business. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's when that takes the, the central core of your heart and your life and it, it directs your, your path, then God says, okay, now, now you're not walking by faith anymore. You're walking by sight. I need you to, you know, and he'll, he'll disrupt your path and, and he'll invite you to a new place and then he'll wait for you to arrive. Perhaps God's inviting you today to take a step of faith. It's always dangerous. I mean, we have this thing called moving up and out a new life in Jesus Christ. The, the danger is as people take those things, suddenly they'll, they'll start to be like, oh, I got to move. I got to do this. I got to do that. And, it'll, and people around you will think you're absolutely nuts. But deep in your heart, there will be this satisfaction that you didn't know before. Because when you get to Canaan and built the altar, boy, there's this peace of being in God's will that just cannot be trumped by anything else. I drove to Lloydminster in 1995 in this 1974 Plymouth Valiant, gold. It was a classic, real chick magnet, you know. <laughs> I was coming up here and the church was paying me $1,200 for three months of internship. I spent 800 on the car, so you understand. Like I borrowed that from my dad. So I was already in the, in the red, you know, and borrowed some money for gas. I mean, it, it was like, whew, you know, but I just remember driving by Neilburg the gas thing was getting low, V8 engine, you know, but I was like, I just knew that I was right in the middle of God's will. I had no idea how this thing was all going to work out. I had, had no idea, but I just knew that, that he wanted me here, and I was like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going, and I got no money. I got this old car, and you know, boom. but in trusting God, I got here, and um, I had a great time. I met the girl of my dreams here. 
I said, look, Lord, I'll follow you as long as I'm going back to the Shuswap and to the Okanagan where, where all godly people live, right? Where there's fruit and, and lakes and all that stuff. I'm not going to the hinterlands of Saskatchewan, you know? I, but, I, but it didn't matter. I said, like, Lord, I'll go anywhere. And he's okay, go here. And when I got here, well, guess what? Oh, there is premium platinum diamond edition woman waiting for me. <laughs> I wouldn't have found her back there. She was here. And I only found her here because I was following amazing thing 24 years this last week with Lisa so I but it started here started here it was because I I listened and I obeyed and, and that was one of those moments where you're like wow I mean I wouldn't want to be anywhere else Lord but driving this car that I don't even own <laughs> and then heading to a church I don't even know but it doesn't matter Lord because I know you want me here at this time and I just it felt so good everything I own in the trunk of my car what a, what a great what a great time in my life not tied down to anything but God wants to do some great things in your lives. I don't want us to miss the, the season we've been out of, but he's got some wonderful promises ahead of you. Would you trust him? Would you, would you cling to him? Would you take steps with him? Would you leave behind some of that stuff and just embrace the new things that he brings into your life? He sent his son to die in our place, just like the ram died in, in Isaac's place, right? He was that substitution for our sin. By believing in Jesus Christ, we can have new life, forgiveness, a fresh start. Every day is a new day with Jesus. And all that old stuff is, is gone. I, I shared with a guy this week, we were getting together and he was talking about some of the guilt and shaming. I said, if you've confessed that to God, it's gone. You're a new creation. We're moving forward in new days with Jesus. And that's what we're here about in new life. Would you walk with me as we follow God together? Team, would you come up? We're going to close. And the other side of this text is that Abraham is to be a channel of blessing. Here it is. Through one man, sin entered the world. Through one man, Jesus Christ, life enters the world. But then through the followers of Jesus Christ, God's blessing pours out into the world. You are the very channel of the blessings of God. That God can shine his love and his care and his benevolence through you, through your time, through your relational capacity, through your money, you are the channel of God's blessing. If you are following this tradition of faith that Abraham establishes here, you are now part of the blessing squad. Be a blessing this week. Your presence in your school classroom should be a positive in your work environment, people should be glad that you're there because you bring the very blessing of God there. In your neighborhood, in the gym where you work out, in the craft guild where you do crafts together, wherever it is, in the shop where you rebuild cars, whatever, wherever you are, you are the very hands and feet, mouth of God, blessing those that are in that place. Be God's blessing this week. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you that you tolerate our stumbling in the journey of faith. And we don't want to have gone through the past two years without learning something about trusting your promises. So deepen us, Lord. Draw us to the places you want us to be. Enlarge our territory that we may bring greater blessing to the people our lives and that we corporately may bring greater greater blessing to this community 
for the name and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you that we can have a relationship with you. So, so guide us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Sheila's dad yesterday went to be with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and so thank you. They serve today in a, in a rejoicing but also grieving, and so thank, I thank you, thank you, team, for serving. And of course, you know, it just makes the promise of God that more real for us. Um, he graduated. They were in a special place to see him leave this earth and enter the glorious presence of Jesus. And that's what we all look forward to as we walk with him. And now may God himself work in and through your life this week to channel his blessings in your home, in your workplace, in your school and in your neighborhood, that he may be glorified forever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.